Number 110323, a rendering of each of six episodes. Episode 1, A Year with the Church Fathers. Denying free will proves that there is free will. We Christians know that we have free will, that we can choose between good and evil. Want proof? Ask St. Ephraim the Syrian. The very denial of free will proves it exists. If anyone asks what this will is, we must tell him the real truth about it. That is, it is the power of free choice. So if anyone asks, what is this will? For it is only one thing, but part of it is good and part of it is evil. Then we shall say, that is, because it is a will. And if he asks again, we shall tell him that is endowed with independence. And if he continues in his folly, we shall tell him that it is a free will. And if he still is not convinced, the fact that he cannot be taught shows that there is free will because he is unwilling to be taught. But if he is convinced when they say to him that there is no free will, it really is marvelous that by denying free will, he proves that there is free will. He proves it by putting himself in that desperate state. It is as if some eloquent person wanted to rant away and prove that people have no power of speech. What madness! He says there is no power of speech by using his power of speech. His own power of speech refutes him if, by means of speech, he tries to prove that there is no power of speech. Likewise, when free will has gone to hide itself in a discussion and show by argument that it does not exist, then it is more certainly caught and proved to exist. For if there were no free will, there would be no argument and no persuasion. St. Ephraim the Syrian, First Discourse to Hypotheus. In God's presence, consider, am I tempted to blame my own bad decisions on circumstances beyond my control? Closing prayer. Lord, do not let your eyes rest on my sins, but if I have sinned through my own will, his word, action, or thought, forgive me and cleanse me from the stains of my sin. Episode number two, Through the Year with Thomas Merton. Conventional Wisdom Most men cannot live fruitfully without a large proportion of fiction in their thinking. If they do not have some officious mythology around which to organize their activities, they will regress into a less officious, more primitive more chaotic set of illusions. When the ancients said that the solitary was likely to be either good or a beast, they meant that he would either achieve a rare intellectual and spiritual independence or sink into a more complete and brutish dependence. The solitary easily plunges into a cavern of darkness and of phantoms more horrible and more absurd than the most insane set of conventional social images. The suffering he must then face is neither salutary nor noble. It is catastrophic, disputed questions. Episode number three, Magnificat, March 2023, volume 24, number 13, 
Item number one, a reading from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 15, verses 1 and 3, and verses 11 through 32. Tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to listen to Jesus, but the Pharisees and scribes began to complain, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So to them Jesus addressed this parable. A man had two sons, and the younger son said to his father, Father, give me the share of your estate that should come to me. So the father divided the property between them. After a few days, the younger son collected all his belongings and set off to a distant country where he squandered his inheritance on a life of dissipation. When he had freely spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he found himself in dire need. So he hired himself out to one of the local citizens who sent him to his farm to tend the swine and he longed to eat his fill of the pods on which the swine fed, but nobody gave him any. Coming to his senses, he thought, How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food to eat, but here am I, dying from hunger? I shall get up and go to my father, and I shall say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Treat me as you would treat one of your hired workers. So he got up and went back to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father caught sight of him and was filled with compassion. And he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But his father ordered his servants, Quickly! Bring the finest robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Take the fatted calf and slaughter it. Then let us celebrate with a feast, because this, my son of mine, was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. Then the celebration began. Now the older son had been out in the field, and on his way back, as he neared the house, he heard the sound of music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what this might mean. The servant said to him, Your brother has returned, and your father has slaughtered the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. He became angry, and when he refused to enter the house, his father came out and pleaded with him, He said to his father in reply, Look, all these years I've served you, and not once did I disobey your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat to fast on with my friends. But when your son returns who swallowed up your property with prostitutes, for him you slaughter the fatted calf. He said to him, My son, you are here with me always. Everything I have is yours. But now we must celebrate and rejoice because your brother was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. The Gospel of the Lord. Meditation of the Day. Item number two. Father, I have sinned. The sacrament of confession is perhaps the least understood and most scorned by those outside the church and often resented by those within. If God knows you are sorry, 
Why go tell a priest one hears over and over again? Using the analogy of human love, we can more go more deeply into the logic uh, tending to uh, creation, contribution of forgiveness. When two people are in love, even sensibly in themselves, it's heightened. A person previously smug and self-satisfied finds himself full of sorrow when he sees how his thoughtful actions have wounded his loved one. He longs to change. He cannot stand the fact that whereas his heart is full of love, the long ingrained habits of his character bring him to act in unloving ways. Rather than let the woman who loves think he doesn't care or that he will never change, he rushes eagerly to say that he's sorry. He doesn't just feel sorry, he also needs to tell her that he's sorry to make a definite disavowal of his act. Even this does not satisfy him. He needs to know that she accepts his sorrow, and most of all, that his act did not destroy the bond of love irrevocably. The spoken words, I forgive you, are the seal of this reunion. For a human being, with all his insecurities, it would never be sufficient merely to feel sorry and to assume forgiveness. One suffering from guilt cannot merely say, if she loves me, of course she will forgive me. Part of his sorrow is in the recognition that his act may really have destroyed something which only he can build up again. Just as the unloving act was a distinct, concrete moment, so the act of reconciliation must be a definite moment. Furthermore, the one who has been unloving must truly will to be his better self in the future. Otherwise, he would be proclaiming by his misdeed that he really does not care. In sin, we turn away from trust in Christ's love and providence in favor of fanatically choosing what we think to be our happiness. For example, when one despises and despairs that God really cares about one's future and will send the needed love, one tends to embrace fleeting pleasures. In fact, since Christ continually suffers us love and guarantees our final happiness, it is a rejection of this love when we try to grab it for ourselves in ways contrary to His will. Our greed for an immediate satisfaction we could procure through our own powers blinds us to His love which offers us true happiness as a gift in confession. Sorrow for sin seeks a definite verbal expression. The grace divine love in the words of absolution and the deeds of penance reseal the bond between I and thou. Episode number four, God's Little Instruction Book, one, two, and three by Honor Books. Golden Nugget number one, inspired by Proverbs, chapter nine, verse seven. The only fool bigger than the person who knows it all is the person who argues uh, with him. He that reproveth a scorner getteth to himself shame, and he that rebuketh a wicked man getteth himself 
a blot. Golden nugget number two, inspired by Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. A drowning man does not complain about the size of a life preserver. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Item, golden nugget number three, inspired by Proverbs chapter 15, verse 2. Blessed is he who, having nothing to say, refrains from giving wordy evidence of the fact. The tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. Episode number five, Chesterson, Day by Day. When the working woman in the poor districts come to the doors of the public houses and try to get their husbands home, simple-minded social workers always imagine that every husband is a tragic drunkard and every wife a broken-hearted saint. It never occurs to them that the poor woman is only doing under coarser conventions exactly what every fashionable hostess does when she tries to get the man from arguing over the cigars to come and gossip over the teacups. What's wrong with the world? Episode number six, Reflection. God works or good works are accomplished not by our efforts alone, but by the power and will of God. Nevertheless, God demands effort on our part in conforming to his will. These are the words of St. Barsonophus and John. Few words, but much is said in them. We are obliged to labor, cultivate, and prepare every good thing. And if some will take growth and root and bring forth fruit, that's up to the power and will of God. We plow the furrows, and God sows, if he wills it. We cleanse the vessels of the Spirit, and God pours the Spirit into these vessels, if he wills it. He can do anything if he wills it. And he will do everything that answers to the highest wisdom and wholeness, that is, to his plan of man's salvation. In interpreting the words of our Lord, Be ye therefore wise as serpents, and harmless as doves, Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. St. John Chrysostom writes that our Lord gave this commandment to his disciples, that they themselves should cooperate in some way, so that it will not appear that all effort is of grace alone, and so that they will not think that they receive the wreaths of glory for nothing. And so, both of them are indispensable for our salvation, our effort, and the power of God's grace.